Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to A Hoop's Journey. Today, uh, selfishly, the host is thrilled. Does not know, but I mean, this is a guy that I looked up to from a basketball standpoint, an absolute legend, um, not only in our province, but in the country of Canada. And I think the cool part about today is everyone knows the name, but maybe doesn't know what's happened since the days of playing it were over for him. He's um, turned himself into a very successful coach overseas, easily uh, one of the best players that British Columbia has ever produced, a four-time All-Canadian, which is absolutely bananas. Probably would have been five if Hansen would have just passed him the ball a little bit more as a rookie. Uh, <laughs> but we are honored and privileged to have Mr. J.D. Jackson with us today. How are you, sir? Hey, I'm great. Thanks. Um, yeah, just, it's morning for you, I guess, and evening for me. So we've got the timing right, and I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. Have you had practice today or a day off for the no, boys? No, actually, today was day off. Uh, we're just at the end of the season. We got, in two days, it's our last game of the season. We're in that weird space where uh, we're just, we just missed the playoffs. But, and in, in Europe, you always have the bottom teams go down to the lower division. Right. But we're safe from that as well. So we're sort of in that middle ground where we're playing for nothing for a spin a few weeks. So <laughs> everybody's sort of happy that we can start, you know, get around to recruiting and, and on to the next season because sort of playing for nothing. So it's yeah. no pressure, but kind of and do the guys the next step. Do the guys sense it a little bit in terms of like I'm I'm guessing that they're they're still going out and competing because they know people are watching and there's contracts to be signed or yeah. you know, extensions to be made. So they've still got to kind of get it done, right? And that would be an interesting sort of space to be in as a coach yeah, well, and as a player. I mean, they'll, they'll be motivated. The, the buy-in factor is, you know, playing for the team and playing together because as you say, they're worried about uh, the next step, who's watching, who's going to be scouting them. And, you know, most of the scouting now, you don't, it's not like in the old days where you get film on players. You just, teams just go into synergy and look at the clips. So yeah, first clips, you get two of the, the last clips of the previous year. So they know that's the first thing <laughs> the GMs and coaches are going to be looking at the first, uh, these last games. So uh, individually, yeah, they're focused and they're trying to be effective, but uh, you know, we have fans, we have uh, our own hierarchy here yep. and the turnover here is, is a lot quicker in Europe. You know, maybe some, yeah, like in the CFL, you have quotas, quotas. So, the French players uh, maybe will have a couple of years, two, three year contracts, a little longer term, but everybody else is on a one year contract. So, yeah, it's important to, you know, to finish with a good attitude. Uh, don't want to get a bad reputation, you know. It, mm-hmm. it's, it's, an odd, it's weird because usually this is my first time uh, sort of on a lower budget team in the league. Most of my coaching and playing years, I was in the higher, higher budget teams sort of playing in the European Cup. So, you sort of have the first pick recruiting, you're always playing for something. You know, yeah. you're always trying to get that home court advantage or you're heading into the playoffs or whatnot. But it's kind of odd for me. This is the team's pretty happy because it was total rebuild. You know, it was a, it was a dog's breakfast last year when I came in at the end of the year and it, we sort of put everything together urgently and, and stayed up in the first division. Mm-hmm. And so for them, this year was pretty comfortable because we, you know, built, started building the old standards, you know, building a culture and trying to get some continuity, some players to stick around. So they're pretty happy with the season, but it's just new for me not to have you know, be heading into the playoffs and going for the titles. So we're, yeah. we're building towards that or else, you know, I wouldn't have really bought into the project, but it's going to take a little while. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's new for me. Good perspective so, you know, though. And that's fun. And um, I was chatting with Jeff McKay yesterday a little bit. And yeah, that's okay. cool that uh, you came in so late and turned it around. And, you know, maybe just stuff, like you say, you've already used the word project. And you also touched on something that I will chat with and belt later is, um, you know, the in and out of the players, but 
you as a player, you know, stayed with a few clubs for, <laughs> you know, seven, eight years. Right. And so like, I think yeah. that says a lot, but we'll get into that. And, and okay. let's just quickly check in. How's life for you? Um, your family, things are good these days. I mean, we're all sort of, I don't know what France is like, but we're, you know, out here in, in Vancouver, we're in a place where, you know, COVID sort of, I mean, it's still there, but like yeah. life is sort of back to, you know, I hate using the word normal, but you know, it's just, we're back to where we, we are. So how are, how are things for you and your family and, and life over there? Yeah, I think uh, just maybe because it hit earlier and uh, you know, for whatever reason, people aren't reckless, but uh, you know, things opened up. We, we seem to confine it, be confined a li- little earlier than in North America. And then we opened up a little earlier and everybody's been through at least a couple bouts of COVID after the, at least once after the, uh, the vaccination you know, sort of seems to be getting normalized, which is not easy to deal with uh, as everything's opened up. You know, I've got fans in the gym. Uh, we're in a team sport where, you know, guys are practicing with each other, practicing against other teams, traveling all the time. So yeah, uh, in public spaces. So uh, it's, it's you know, a lot less fear with the the guys not getting as sick, but it's, it's still around and we have all these protocols. It's just like in the Amer- North American leagues, professional leagues. Uh, so it's been complicated and you're kind of just hoping we'll, we'll get back to normal one day and just be able to <laughs> yeah. concentrate on basketball and, and stuff. But uh, yeah, we, I mean, everybody got through it. The confinement was tough. It, it, ha- it happened when I was actually taking a couple of years off. I was, I was uh, back and forth with the uh, Canadian team, with the national team during mm-hmm. the, the windows, the qualification windows. So that kept me a little bit connected to basketball. But I was hoping to travel, get around a little bit for those couple of years and I ended up, you know, just sort of sitting around and they actually canceled the French league that first year. So I kind of screwed up my plans. I was hoping, you know, get back to basketball, get into a club situation. So it was a couple of years. I was kind of really just antsy and ready yeah. to get back to it. So I was happy to have this project, you know, it was, it was kind of, it was tight last year. I mean, we almost went down, but it's a long-term project. They're going to, you know, they're building in an arena here. Everything about the town here is built around the team about basketball and, it's, it's a, good, there's a lot of future bad. we just have to build it no it's very good yeah, um, yeah. out here it's not uh you do have private sponsorship but uh you know to to have continuity and a consistent budget the the city the region all the you know the p- politicians they have to be behind you there's there's a, a lot of funding for the team and you know you can't just take it revenue and, and whatnot isn't enough so right. it, it's good to have a community that's just got that one sport it's not a big it's a small town but mm-hmm. everybody's behind the team and you know do everything to make sure we stay on top so yeah that's good i mean there's a ceiling to that understand mm-hmm. that before i had coached in Lyon, which is a major city a lot of upside as far as the market potential for a team like that here it's more limited but you know you, you know if you do your best you can compete with with the bigger teams so yeah yeah it'll be fun it'll be fun awesome good yeah there's already enough for a coach to worry about too when you throw in covid in a pandemic it's like my god <laughs> yeah. right i'm um, just happy to be back at it because yeah. i had a lot of stress you know i've always as a player or through about, I guess, what, a dozen, you know, 14 coaching years. I was always at, in the Euro, Euro League or Euro Cup, you know, top-level competition. And you, you're you always just uh, all in, all in all the time. There's a lot of pressure. Yeah. Uh, it's very intense. You know, and I'm in my 50s now, so it's kind of like, okay, what else can we do here? You know, go, go back to sort of the starting point of a smaller project and try to help them build um, something new and it's a little more uh, thorough and, and it's less hectic, so... It's been a change. There's a lot of adjusting and learning, but again, it's it's fun. For sure. Yeah, it's good to be back. And they had like 
just over 7,000 at the uh, provincial final this year, which was awesome. Right. I mean, it felt so good to be back after a year off and like, yeah, they lifted the mask mandate on the Friday and the finals final night was Saturday and it was like, people were just starving for it. Right. So I hope I'm sure the fans and community there will be excited and, and cool. ready to roll. Yeah. And speaking of high school basketball, let's jump yeah. back, man. Let's let's go down memory lane a little bit. And yeah, <laughs> don't worry. You're not that old, man. I, I mean, remember yeah, that come on. That, yeah. I mean, if, if Shields yeah. and these guys can dig back into the crate, sure. surely there's yeah. some memories for you. Um, don't worry. We won't know if they're true or not anyways. So. Yeah, that's what I was yeah. going to say. The further back we go, the more it'll be. <laughs> back in my day. Yeah. <laughs> But I think you have a unique story, right? Selective. Just growing up where you did and and being able to, you know, in sort of a small community, but surrounded by and growing up around some pretty stellar basketball players. Yeah. Talk about just grow, growing up in life for you as a young guy and and what sport was like. And did you do yeah. just basketball? Were you baseball? Like, no, no. Yeah. And your was, life as a young guy. The, yeah. Uh, I, was, I was born in uh, Burnaby. And my older sister as well. But uh, both of, of our parents were young. I mean, dad was in university. He was actually at Simon Fraser. Okay. He played a year or two in, at Simon Fraser. But they had the two kids while they were still university age. So it was sort of, okay, enough of sports. Uh, we got to get a job. We got to get going. So he became a, a teacher. He stayed in sports. He's a PE teacher. Got a job in the Okanagan in Vernon. That was sort of how we got up to the Okanagan. My first real experience with sports personally, um, of course, was linked to him watching him play, but it wasn't in Vernon. We actually, when, when I was uh, the first and second grade, he did a, a teacher transfer for two years to uh, West Germany, the Ramstein Air Base. I don't know if you've heard of that big air base and what was West Germany back in the day. This is like the 1975. So we were out there and he was teaching on, on the air base. And it was, you know, it's a huge air base in Germany. There are a lot of bases and they have actually a basketball league within the base. There's a lot of American ball players who are in the army or in the air force. Yeah. Yeah. And they play against each other. So my dad uh, linked up with that team. He played for them. So I would go to the gym once or twice a week and watch the military league play the Amer American players playing ball. And that's where I sort of my first exposure to basketball. And then the home team, the Ramstein Rams, I remember I was the, the six or seven years old, I was out there throwing the balls back to the shooters, you know, a little kid getting the rebounds and stuff. Yeah. So that's the first exposure I had to it. But as far as sports go, I come from a hockey family. Like my father, he's, uh, he's from Toronto. And his Oof. uncles and, his, and their brothers were all uh, Maple Leafs. You know, they're like one of the couple of them are even Hall of Famers. So that's his side of the family. And so they had me on skates and I was a skiing. I couldn't skate. And, you know, right away it's like, okay. So I tried hockey right away and they had me. <laughs> By the time I was second grade, it was like, okay, forget it. Um, and because we were in Germany, I got really into soccer. You know, yeah, of course, the main sport out there. And that was my sport for most of my youth um, mm. until I hit secondary school, even when we got back, because they didn't, I mean, basketball, Jeff talked, Jeff McCabe talked about this a few weeks back. It was really just our fathers, our parents who really organized the, the basketball and got it going. Uh, in those days, it wasn't until uh, high school, there wasn't much basketball in the, in the community. You played soccer, you played hockey. Yeah. Maybe you were on a swim team. Um, so I was into soccer. That was my thing. And I had. You know, I was into the Vancouver Whitecaps and Bobby Leonard, Uzi, all those guys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then yeah. basketball was once once I got to, uh, I guess it would have been eighth grade, Kalamelka Junior Secondary. Were uh, that's when I, we really started taking it seriously, and uh, you know, caught the bug and just uh, became almost obsessive about it. You know, with the, with a group of friends, 
And like I said, my dad was the PE teacher at that school and the coach of the team. So we just all was natural. That's how I got back into basketball. Every summer, you know, we'd load up. We had this big Ford Econoline van and we'd load up. Yes. And because we were sort of the North Okanagan, we'd, we'd work our way down all the way through the Central and South Okanagan. We'd pick up all those guys, you know, like Jeff and whoever, mm-hmm. Spencer McKay, Mike Clark, whoever was going to jump in. And we'd all go down across the border. We'd go to, to Spokane where you could get all the gear because we didn't have access to any shoes, balls, anything. We'd, we'd load up. You know, everybody had their whatever, their paper route or whatever <laughs> money and you, you, every, your allowance. And you go down there and you'd load up. you get your shoes, whatever you needed for the season. And then we'd go to basketball camp. A lot of time it was at uh, Eastern Washington University. On time we went down to Oregon State. And so my dad would coach or, and other coaches and fathers would come with us. We'd all go down there. They would coach and then the, we'd get to do camp for free, you know, because our parents were coaching. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it was huge. We'd be, you know, for us to go down to the States and play against guys who knew really how to play and coaches who really knew the fundamentals. We'd do that two, three weeks every summer. Uh, you know, and then we just got, we all got really good. I mean, it was a Jeff, I won't insist on it, but you know, Jeff McKay talked a lot about it. We just sort of, for a few years there, the Okanagan was a bit of a hotbed, uh, not just locally, but even on the national level, you know, a lot of guys on our national junior team and youth teams were coming from BC, which mm-hmm. isn't so much the case at all, but uh, now, but, uh, back then there was a, a lot of interest and a lot of good players coming out of, out of the Okanagan. Yeah. Something to be said for, uh, having the dad who's just got the key to the gym, right? It's pretty easy to get hooked into something when you just hop in the car with him and shoot yeah. for an hour before school every day or whatever, you know. That's you, great. It yeah. wasn't always easy because, mm-hmm. like, he he was a, a real A-type. <laughs> uh, so in spite of being like the, the phys ed teacher and having all his, you know, men's league and all the stuff he did, he we'd be up, you know, in the middle of winter, these cliche stories, but it was we did that. He did have me up at 6 in the morning. I, we lived out by the national parks. We'd be out running at 6 in the morning. Uh, before homeroom at school, we'd have to go shoot and play one-on-one for you know, 45 minutes before school even started, then practice Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, every day after after school. And the tournaments on the weekends, what you really look forward to. But, we, you know, he had me working really hard, which was great. It was great for me. But for sure, you you get into it a bit when you don't feel, you know, yeah, yeah. sometimes. So, it, yeah, yeah. It, you know, I owe him a ton. It was great. And it was great for my friends, too, because it wasn't just me. You know, we had a group of guys who were just – just so in love with basketball. We ended up, yeah, the, in junior high school, we, we won the BC championships. When you were grade 10? In, in, yeah, in 10th grade yeah. with Cal yeah. Malka. And then in 12th grade, we lost the final uh, to Maple Ridge. We, we made the final of the BCs, but we lost it in Niagara Dome there. So, yeah, and, we, we and you know, it was great. And like I said, it was a weird group of, of guys. I, was, uh, I had been put ahead in school uh, when I was young, so I was a year behind everyone. So all through the, the years until the 12th grade, I was a point guard because I was a little guy on the team. And then I had my, in 11th, just started the 11th grade, I had that, my growth spurt and I got up to six, what I am now, 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, and everybody was small on our team. So in, my, in the 12th grade, even though I, I had been on the junior national team as a guard, in high school I was playing uh, big man for <laughs> we had just a bunch of guards. Really like modern game, you know, so we were getting yeah. about 30 steals a game, just running gun, putting up shots and layups and, and it worked all the way until we got up against this team, Maple Ridge, which had a bunch of big guys and got every single rebound, just passed it over us, slowed us down, and we lost. So, But that kind of – I didn't get any scholarship offers really because because of that, because my whole senior year, I, I was a guard, but I'd been playing a, like a skinny 6'5 kid playing center, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just out of necessity. So it was kind of odd. And then – Yeah, that's interesting. Also, like, yeah, it just makes you now aware as a coach. But, I mean, you coach the pro level, right? But, like, it – something that reminds me like 
it being a high school coach to like, let the kids sort of be who they are, right? Like don't force them to just because they're a six, six kid to throw them in the post. I mean, nowadays nobody wants yeah. to go down there anyways. So, <laughs> well, we um, adjusted and that's, you know, my yeah. dad, like I said, my dad was so passionate about it uh, that he was, you know, always looking for solutions. And he spent all summer with those, like I said, with those university coaches in the States at these camps and picking mm-hmm. their brain and always thought we had a step ahead of most teams tactically uh, yeah. in spite of, uh, you know, uh, our lineup that wasn't traditional. Sure. I mean, it was small guys, guys from other sports, athletic, love yeah. to play defense and run, but uh, we figured it out and uh, it was good. It was a great experience anyway, but uh, boy, that was a big deal to go down to the, I was just going to say, yeah. Championships. Yeah. You were just talking about it. that brings back memories. It's a long time ago, but it's just like yesterday when I think about it for sure. Yeah. The good old Agridome, man. The, yeah. <laughs> you know, dead, dead spots on the floor, but like, you know, packed arena and all that stuff. I mean, it just makes you, I mean, you can see the smile on your face just thinking about it. Right. And during those yeah. years, during those years, like when did you, was the plan always to be a post-secondary player or were you just, you know, oh, like, yeah, uh, yeah it was, almost, yeah. almost, I was almost too obsessed and, and, and sure of it. You know, mm. I was, uh, you know, just as, as I was going for, I was always playing with kids older than me and bigger than me, like I said, cause I'd been put ahead in school and, uh, you know, we go in the summertime, we do those top, uh, top 40 select BC teams that would yeah, go down South and play tournaments and stuff. And I always felt like I could dominate at that level when I get with my age group. So I wanted so much to to play university ball and even to to give my give it a shot the dream of playing pro ball even mm-hmm. at, you know 16 but it wasn't obvious you know obviously your parents saying oh well <laughs> you want to think <laughs> twice you know have options and stuff but you know when you're a kid like that you don't need you know you you're just too motivated you don't want to hear the perspectives for sure so it it worked out yeah you could say that yeah <laughs> and but I had a lot of help that that's the thing you know maybe too when you don't realize it coming up Mm-hmm. How lucky you are that people sort of open doors for you and just uh, for no particular reason other than their passion for their game, just really try to help you out. And, uh, yeah. and, and you look back on it and hopefully I can mention some of those people as we're talking, you know, as we Absolutely. go along, because, uh, you know, it's only later on further down the road, you really realize how much these people did for you and how much they meant to you. So true. Um, you know, not just, uh, of course, I'm talking about my father, but all the way along the line, so many people. Yeah. And one thing that, you know, doing this podcast and chatting with people is you realize that like, yeah, there's circumstances and things that come along the way for people. Some people peak a little earlier, like yourself, you're talking about maybe being a quote unquote late bloomer, right? In in that grade 12 year, you have a dominant year and then your name's out there. What was the recruiting process like for you? How did, how do you end up at UBC? And that's when things really just sort of like skyrocket for you, right? I mean, you know, you, as a, we'll talk about that freshman year, but you kind of late bloom your freshman year too. And next thing you know, yeah, there's, well, there's 30 plus point games, but you know, Bruce ends and, and all that. Bruce, how does that yeah. come around? Yeah. How, how did that end up? The, uh, you know, I think the Victoria was on about six or seven straight national championships, UVic. And they sort of picked out the best pieces uh, from the Okanagan. Jeff McKay had gone there. Uh, Spencer McKay, who was a, really a, a big recruit for them coming out of mm-hmm. the Okanagan. So there was, there was still a lot of players, you know, there were, and uh, Bruce came through on a recruiting swing. He was the only one that I remember, at least for visited me. But he met with myself and two Kelowna players, Mike Clark and Alan Lalonde, who were two other real high-level players who were also on the junior national team. Well, this is what all I'm saying. Like We're talking about, yeah, like you guys are all in one little area of the Okanagan playing yeah. on the friggin' junior national team. Like people yeah. need to realize that. Like it's not yeah. like... Well, these are the guys, or, like I said, that yeah. we're, we're getting in the van together Every and going day. to the summer camp together. <laughs> And then uh, through the high school years, we're just like competing and 
but really close. You know, we're tight, a tight yeah. group. And so it's pretty Bruce cool. came through and he sort of saw that he had just come out west. He had done his first year with uh, with the team that was in place. There were two sort of real figures there. Kevin Hansen, of course, everybody knows, and, and Paul Johansson, who was, you know, had, had flirted with the na- being on the national team and actually was an excellent ball player, but ended up being uh, going down to Hollywood and becoming a, a movie star. Uh, but th- those two guys were the only maybe high-level players uh, at the time that were still were in the program. There were other guys that were, were good players, but they were going to be doctors, they were going to be lawyers, yeah. all these kind of stuff. <laughs> great guys to learn from and to play with, but sort of had other projects. So mm-hmm. uh, Bruce was like, okay, well, i got to get some ball players in here. I'll have to recruit and start building a foundation. So he came up and sort of pitched us all together mm-hmm. and said, why don't you come in as a group? And that really appealed to me. I'm not sure about Alan and, and, and Mike, what, what perspectives they had otherwise. But for me, it was just like, wow, that's cool. Mm-hmm. You know, we can go in there. We'll all very, already have playing time. The coach is really long-term buying in on us. and We can do something. Because my dream had been, uh, of course, like most players to go to the NCAA, but we didn't have any exposure at all as far as recruiting or anything. So I didn't really have any looks. And as I said, for them, if anybody had taken a look, I was 6'4", <laughs> power forward, you know, so yeah. they didn't, you know, unless they had been following the national team. So, yeah, I was only 16, and, and my dad actually wanted me to go to out east for a grade 13. I don't know if that still exists, but to just yep. get another year under my belt. And, and before I uh, go to use, maybe go to uh, the, the U.S. Uh, on a scholarship somewhere. And I said, you know, no, I want to do this. You know, I've been invited to junior nats with with my friends um i'm gonna compete against these guys that uh, i looked up to you know like mm-hmm. like jeff mckay and so that's good for me that um i love it vancouver you know i was uh, super excited about going back to the big city so that was that i did that you know when i had uh, you know done the minimum as far as school goes to get into the university it wasn't uh, i was terrible i was just really good pause in, right in terms of uh, yeah you know i just really that's one of my regrets you know? yeah uh, I feel you. Never, never really took it seriously. All I could think about was sports. I'm sure it's it's a it's a common story, but for sure when you look back, you say, "Wow, I got into that, you know, really elite university." Where if I would have just had, I had the time. You always have the time, and uh, all I really cared about was basketball, friends, partying for for a few years there. And you look back and you say, "Wow, I, I was in that school, you know, and I didn't take advantage. I didn't really give it a chance." But one way or the other, I managed to get in, and. Uh, we just had a great run in with that group of friends and it was because we were already friends going in there. Yeah. You know, it was just, we experienced the whole thing sort of a, a, at the same time in the same way. It was, uh, it was really special. So, so things you know, didn't get around. weird. The things and didn't recruiting get weird. actually came in once, uh, like you said, at the end of my second year, we, we surprised everyone. We, we actually, we knocked off you Vic. And yeah, that's one of my one games. I really remember was the, the Western finals. And I think I hit about six threes in the, in the final game against you Vic. You know, I just got really hot and I was in the zone. It was just this game and, and, and we beat them. And it was like this big thing. And, and we went to nationals and made the final against Brandon. And it was sort of yeah. <laughs> a bunch mm-hmm. of kids against a bunch of, you know, <laughs> men from the States. So yeah. <laughs> we didn't beat him, but we actually made the final, the national final uh, when we were all rookies with, uh, like I said, that leadership of Kevin and Paul who were in there last year. It was sort of a perfect mix and just a really, uh, an amazing experience. Yeah. Bruce put that all together and, uh, that sort of launched me in the following year, uh, that the following summer, sorry, I was back to the national champ, uh, the junior national team, but we went to the world championships, junior nationals yeah. in Italy and uh, had a much, even though I was still a couple of years younger than most of the guys I had, a, I think in Ken's eyes, 
uh, a new status. You know, he gave me a lot more responsibility. He put me in, in, in the money time to hit big shots mm. and stuff. He knew I was up to it. He had experience at first hand. So. Yeah. <laughs> so that really confidence wise and, you know, moving forward, I think that's where the following years I, I sort of became a dominant player at certainly at the, the university level. Yeah. And then even consistently uh, just, just uh, answering the call with Ken, you know, when he moved up to the senior team, he had me in there as, as a young player on the senior national team, maybe ahead of my, ahead of my time which rubs some people the wrong way, but I think I really, I still stepped up and I, you know, I played really hard for the national team and, and improved each year. So like I said, it's another one of those guys when you, you're griping with him every, <laughs> he was like, you know, Ken, everybody knows Ken. He's a, almost was a Bobby Knight uh, style coach at times. And, but with retrospect, when you look back and say, boy, think how much I owe this person, you know, sticking with me. I was not an easy guy to coach. I was cocky. I was uh, I didn't really, uh, I, I really liked and, and respected uh, uh, the veteran players, but still I wanted to beat them. I wanted to get their spot, you know, and that rubbed them sometimes the wrong way. Yeah. It was different back in the day. You had to pay your dues and the, the young guy coming into the team, you, you don't just start putting up shots and, you know, competing and, you know, you have to sort of, yes, sir, yes, sir. And so I wasn't easy, but I think uh, there's a side of that that some guys appreciate it also. Yeah, for sure. Boy, like I say, Ken Shields for sure, and Bruce Enns. That's two schools of thought, you know. So I go to to UBC, and we'd be in a conceptual, much more open style of play. There was a structure, but it was more about reads and you know inspiration, uh, feeling the game. Uh, and then with Ken, very disciplined, structured, technical style of play. You know, almost old school style. A lot of UCLA offense with a very specific. X's and O's and you didn't yeah. come out of that framework, but it was all about execution, timing, spacing, and a lot of skill work through the summer. So for me, that was perfect because I got the best of both worlds. And I think it made me sort of a, a balanced player. And with my, like I said, in my youth with my dad coaching me, he was a little, both of those, but also he had me playing a lot of different positions and had a lot of different responsibilities. So I sort of be, think I, I got a lot out of it in my developmental years, not just being a stereotypical player, you know, sort of trying to be a complete player but I did drive some coaches mad because I'd go back to Ken and I'd be kind of wild and playing, like I said, conceptual basketball. Uh, and then I come back to UBC and, you know, be all like sort of structured and disciplined and wanting to, you know, having to adapt back to the way we played at, at university. But in the end, they, they both really, really have my back. And, and, you know, like I said, it's, uh, well, you look back and say, boy, those, they really put up with a lot, a lot of my shit. And, uh, I'm lucky I had them. Uh, a lot of people that have, I mean, <clears throat> if you're going to do a podcast and talk to Canadian basketball players, they're going to run into Ken Shields, right? And the one thing that I hear all, you know, is just that sense of loyalty and how almost even to a fault sometimes, but like, you know, if he's your guy, he'll look out for you and, and push you and, and try to make you the best player you can. And I'm, I'm guessing that those two combinations just like instinctually, you know, when people think of JD Jackson, they see the numbers, but in terms of like understanding the game and like give yourself some credit to like underrated defender, I'd say like, and I'm not trying to pump your tires here, just in terms of like people see 36 a game or whatever. Right. And they just think, yeah. Oh, a pure scorer, but it's like, you could play both ends of the floor. Like there's no doubt about that as well. And two legendary oh, yeah. coaches at such a young age, I'm sure helped carry you through to so many different experiences. Right. Yeah. And some of us, uh, whether it was me, Tom Johnson, Spencer McKay, Ken gave us a chance, you know, he'd bring us in as a, that 10th, 11th, 12th guy on the senior team. And if you're going into that and he's believing in you, uh, giving you that fit, even if you're not the guy 
who's cut out to block shots or, you know, to be the greatest footwork defender, uh, you, you're going to kill yourself to, to do the job, you know, mm-hmm. to, to, to deserve that, uh, that spot. So, yeah, I never took that for granted. It was different back in the day. I don't want to sound like an old codger, but for sure you didn't have <laughs> so much uh, grassroots, even recruiting uh, AAU people hovering around telling you you're great, you know, giving you the golden ticket. Um, you had to really, really scrape and scratch for an opportunity there were not a lot of opportunities and the further the higher up you went the less structured organized basketball there was about ba- professional basketball as it is now there's so many openings but it was really hard to find a job just to play f- anywhere after mm-hmm. 22 23 years old yeah i knew my ticket was the national team uh, i knew ken shields saw something in me bruce was you know was uh, was gushing with me you know he really filled me with confidence but i the proof uh, I, I the guy i had to prove it to was ken but he always kept the door open. And like I said, it was never easy, but uh, I understood that, you know, this guy's all about defense, all about uh, commitment, effort, mm-hmm. concentration. So uh, I put in the, I put in the effort and uh, yeah, Ken just kept <laughs> giving me the chance. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, it really worked out. And I had, uh, we're talking basketball, but boy, for, like I said, when you come from the Okanagan and you haven't seen that much of the world and yet, you know, you get, there's just all these trips we'd go on with the national team, going to these yeah. countries in Europe, in Asia, in South America, these tours. Uh, I mean, it was amazing, just amazing. And with a group of friends, we got really tight with the guys from the East Coast, you know, that we'd see every summer. Yeah, it was just an amazing uh, period of my life. Yeah, there you go. Rarely do we see someone, it's just not, it's not very common where you're an elite level player and then you're an elite level coach. Like you're a hell of a coach for people that don't know, like you're coaching in top leagues in France and, and kicking ass and taking numbers, knowing what your personality was like as a youngin, maybe being a little mm-hmm. bit more difficult. Have you used some of those things and fallen back on those things in your coaching life? Uh, understanding how to deal with personalities and egos. And, and you're talking about, you know, you're, you're an amateur athlete at this point, right? It's you're playing for pride. You're playing for Canada. You're playing for the T-Birds. Mm. These guys are playing for contracts and money, which mm. complicates things even more. It's a pretty unique skill set to have. How, how do you manage it all? Because it's when you think about, I, I'm trying to think of basketball player that's had success, both like really high level playing and really yeah. high level coaching. There aren't many people out there. Like, oh, well, that was, uh, we'll wait for the end, but you're going to yeah. say somebody who I think you should get on your show, but I'll. Okay. That's about him later. Okay. Uh, there are a few. It's true that uh, uh, we didn't have, uh, there were players, mostly East Coast players from our generation that went down, that were more, uh, was a little more organized on the East Coast, so they would get recruited to the NCAA. And some of them actually got, got into, the, into the NBA. You know, not a lot of stars, but there were some players who, who had access to the NBA. But for us, it was, it was not really realistic. We didn't see it that way. So we had our eyes on Europe. They, we had guys on the national team who were playing in Europe and told us how it was done, how to go about it. And, and we knew that it was very important to make the national team and then make a splash, you know, get into yeah. these major competitions and be seen. So you have to take that into perspective. Uh, you can't just, I mean, you can hammer away on a guy uh, ex- <laughs> expecting him to be team first. And that's all it is. is that's all we need you for, the, your role and stuff. But somewhere deep down, at least for us back in that day, it was existential. You have to get a chance. You have to, there has to be a springboard somewhere. So I think that the art for the coaching, I think that's still the case is to, you know, have your eyes wide open with that, have an open dialogue with the player, let him understand what the opening was for is for him, what his role is, but how that's going to have an opening towards uh, 
improving his future and, and helping him move forward towards a professional career because it was a problem when I was a young player, you know, uh, mm-hmm. we tried to speak with the, the board of directors with the national team, you know, as I was a player rep there for a while and stuff and try to see if we could get some programs and, and some things because we wanted to play on the national team. But on the other hand, there was nothing in place for us to, to play past 23 years old. So there was nothing. So now I'm still on that. I still really try to help uh, players, you know, get jobs over here, get, get their start. If I think, if I, I if I think they put in the time and they, they have right. what it takes, cause it's, it's not easy, but, um, yeah. you know, that as a coach, especially over here where you're on short-term contracts and there's always a higher level, um, <laughs> you know, even if you're in the Euro league, you know, a top team in Europe, there'll be a, a higher up, uh, maybe a team in Turkey, uh, or in, in uh, Spain, Barcelona, right. Real Madrid or something like that, where they can say, well, that's the, that's the next level up. I want to get there. And right. if you got a guy in those teams that are thinking about, well, can I get back over into the NBA? You know, there's always the next level. Um, so to get a uh, sort of team buy-in on a player, you have to be really open yeah. um, with your needs, you know, what you need from him and what you will and will not accept mm. and on the floor, but then also know that you're really hundred percent in on his personal project. Anyway, that's the way I go about it. Relationships, man. You know, that way you can come back to the, you know, your original engagements beginning of the season, you know, when things are going poorly or guys frustrated and you get them back on track and say, look, we're still engaged. Yeah. Let's get back to the, the things we talked about. Yeah. Get you back on track. And, that, you know, if you don't do that, uh, kids will really quickly get uh, disheartened. Sometimes they want to leave in midseason. You know, mm-hmm. they'll be calling their agents. Uh, you'll, f- you'll feel them shut down and yeah. flustered a lot more than back in the day. So, yeah, I, uh, I get it. I mean, my past as a player and how hard it was for me to, you know, s- stepping stone my way up to a professional career. Uh, I know it's never easy. So I'm open to that. But on the other hand, I also have a job to do. I yeah. also don't want to, you know, <laughs> lose my future. So uh, yeah. it's a balancing act and it can get pretty hectic. You know, I think yeah. uh, in, in North America, there's a lot more media, but within a, a structure, it can be pretty touchy feely uh, over in Europe. It's, it can be still pretty brutal and volatile, you know, mm-hmm. as far as the, the intensity, the, the conflictual nature of people, you know, feeling pressure, putting pressure on you, competitiveness with, within a team. But it's passionate, and it's uh, you're used, you get used to it. I mean, uh, everybody gets used to their environment, and uh, I've been out here for a long time, so <laughs> they know. Yeah, yeah, they know they know what they're coming to by this point. Yeah, yeah for sure. But it was yeah. great to be able to play uh, at that level. The coaching was never really a. I had taken it in school. Like I said, I didn't take school seriously, so I just said, okay, well, just what's what suits me at university? Okay, I'll take uh, whatever it was called. It was called PE at the time. I think now my degree is in uh, human kinetics. Or yep. okay, you've heard of yep. that? Yeah. Yep. So. So that was sports, basically, yeah. and okay, eventually I could be a teacher or a, a coach. And that's what I ended up being, so I'm not sure how much it served me, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it was, it was the right choice, even though I, I, I think, well, well, I could have taken it a lot more seriously. But so I, I, I had that degree, but I hadn't really planned on transitioning into coaching. You know, I just wanted to play as long yeah. as I could. It's funny, I was looking down your list, and uh, I, I listened just for a few minutes today, uh, uh, Mickey Fox. Yeah, you, you did with Mickey Fox, and he was yeah. my first ever professional coach. You know, there was this. Oh no league. way! Yeah, the, he drafted me in when you're out in the Halifax league <laughs> in '92 with the ha- Halifax Windjammers, and he actually had me living in his basement. No, you know, he did everything for me, and he's just uh, so much of us. And he just told me, he said, "Look, I'm not going to tell you. Uh, it's it's hard. It's going to be a hard road, but mm-hmm. it, even if it's just like." Uh, they're paying you peanuts and you're going to a war-torn <laughs> country or something. They say, play basketball 
as long as you can because once you once it's over you're going to realize you're still very young and you got the whole whole lifetime ahead of you so just play until you just can't so and i i remember that for years and years and years and it's it's stuck in and i i felt from him it came up from a real true place hmm. because he was so passionate about the game and he was still really involved and i could feel he really wanted to help me out and i sort of pay it forward um, yeah because he had been a real top player in the day so oh yeah, yeah it was really neat to to hear his voice had been a long time that you know the accent's still there and yeah oh yeah <laughs> yeah it's funny it takes you back so uh, that kind of thing is uh, i just said look you know what i'm gonna just go out there and play as long as i can wherever i can and mm-hmm. uh europe and particularly france really really went the right way for me so i ended up uh, getting established as a player played a lot of years and really great experiences at a high level and so this as you mentioned i played in this team in le mans you know le mans is it's famous for the 24-hour car rally, mm-hmm. Steve McQueen, all that. And Le Mans, I think people say in English. <laughs> uh, so I lived there for 15 years. I raised my two sons there. And I played for that team for seven years, and then I coached that team for eight years. And this, we, we won championships in, That's uh, crazy, in France. Man. And then had, when I became a coach, we were in the Euro League. So it was just a, a perfect transition that happened all by itself. You know, I had bought a place in Vancouver when I was mm. a player. And we were going to move back there. And I thought maybe I'd go back to school or get back involved somehow with basketball out there. But coach, coach said, look, you're going to stop playing. I was his captain. He said, I want you to stay around. Uh, we've got all these young players to develop. You can be the skills coach, you know, do a lot of individual work with these guys and, and learn the ropes. And I, I was like, well, it's great. I mean, they respected me. These were, you know, the younger players who I had been the captain. They were, you know, I knew they were, it was going to be they were going to respond and it would be worth a try at that level. I said, you know what, how can you refuse it? Let me try. And from there, uh, it went really well. <laughs> I enjoyed it. Uh, the team was happy with me. And then a couple of years later, this is Vincent Coley. He's the current national team coach. He was mm. my coach in Le Mans. Mm. Uh, he went to the national team and the team said, okay, you've got your chance. And it really worked out, you know, because I'd been working with that group of guys and I'd played with them and you know, we had trust and buy-in and, and we won my first year, we won a couple of championships. And that sort of started my career as a coach. <laughs> I've never, never setting foot in that that place. I sold it maybe five years ago in Vancouver. Oh, did you? Yeah, and I had did rented well it out for I don't know fifteen, twenty years. I never set foot in. It. And then when uh, you sold it, you realized you wouldn't be able to afford to live in Vancouver, anyways. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, that's <laughs> the, you know the, the bittersweet part of it. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, but as far as yeah, plans just sort of making themselves. It was never sort of my plan to stay in Europe. Uh, mm-hmm. Even though my wife is French and my sons were born here, we were going to move back. It's just sort of like a, one thing led to another. And it was just sort of like, well, I can't refuse this. I, I never really thought I'd, I'd stay in Europe and be a pro coach, but I'm in this top team. Coach really wants me to, to try it. And, you know, I was working with just fantastic kids too. The, the one player most people know is uh, Nicola Batum, plays, mm. still plays for the Clippers. Yep. And my last year was his first year pro. So He's when just I came a young in pup. The, the following year, yeah, we did a little skill work with him, a lot of really fixing up his shot because he had kind of a crooked shot. So, you know, following his career, and he, he made a really good run. He got a, was never an all-star, but he wasn't too far off. Oh, he was close for a few there. years. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so, you know, to have worked, my first experience having to be with him and a couple other guys who were top Euro League players now, gave me confidence, really. Uh, you know, I was inspired. And like I said, to, to see them move on to such, such bigger things, yeah, I can help, help these young guys out. Let's keep doing this. And then it turned into head coaching. <laughs> That's a whole different ball of wax. But uh, again, it's, uh, it's really worth it.
And for the people out there that don't know, like we're talking about when you're done at UBC, like records have been crushed, three-pointers have been made, free throws have been made, two-time player of the year, four-time All-Canadian, like easily one of the best, well, it's called U-Sport now, U-Sport, CIU, you know, players we've seen. Can we talk a little bit about the 94 World Championships? Sure, yeah. Yeah. That was right. actually my last uh, yeah. my last games with, uh, with the national team. Yeah. Pretty young, I think, 94, so I would have been 25. Yeah, so that's my first question. So, I mean, maybe you don't want to get into it, but what's up with that? No more national team after that, was it? Did the um, phone not ring? Yeah, it was, was well, it, that's a, that's yeah. a long story, but yeah. the reality was uh, our generation of players for about two or three years, I, don't know, I can't give the years, but the guys that were my age, and we were sort of, it was this, a lot of the UVic players um, that had won all those national titles while we were in junior high school and stuff, and then some of the great guys from the East Coast, you know, the Trianos, Wennington, Routen, Mahar, Tony Sims, all, all these guys, Donahue, his players that had done the gone Olympics and stuff like that, they were veterans mm-hmm. and when we were just coming into college. And Ken picked a lot of, t- when Ken took over as a national team coach, he had a lot of those guys. So that was a, a great generation, had those guys, Kasanowski and Pasquale, uh, Wiltshire, it goes on and on. And so there wasn't a lot of opening for our, this next group of us young guys who were in college to jump in there and, and find a spot. And there were, there were a couple of us, myself, Spencer McKay, and with the, from our generation that had a potential to be pros uh, and to play at that level. And I think the, on the East Coast, uh, Philip Dixon, I don't know if you remember Phil Dixon. No. He was probably the most talented, the highest upside player of, of our generation. So we were sort of the guys. And there were a couple more who, who got in there and then out, uh, Martin Keane. Uh, I, they're at Corey House, so guys that I could name them, but we never really sort of as a group took over the national team, had our, our period there um, mm-hmm. because Ken had sort of really leaned on these veteran players uh, from the Donahue years. And uh, again, I was one of the rare guys that sort of managed to stick, stick on most of the time with that team um, and get that experience. Uh, so I was playing on the national team when I was maybe 19. And like I said, Phil Dixon a little bit when and he got injured. The thing with Phil was he got just a tear, he went through a plate glass window or something and ruined his leg. And so he never really was the same, but he was headed for the NBA. Um, so we had him a couple summers and Spence, Spencer McKay every once in a while. But other than that, it was mostly uh, the vets. So I played, I guess, six seasons. By, by the time we got to Toronto in 94, I'd already been on the national team. I was 25, but I'd already played six yeah. years on the national team. But not a lot of our guys, maybe a handful of guys from our generation had actually some experience. And when we got to Toronto, there were still a, lot, a few hangers on <laughs> <laughs> from the old uh, Wiltshire. Uh, Greg Wiltshire was still there. Yeah. Um, you know, he was towards the end of his career. Uh, Mike Smack, I think, was on that team. But, oh, you know, the Eli Pasquale was done. Billy Wennington was done. I think Routens had retired. You know, none of those guys were on that team. So it was a transitional year. And we, this was a big deal for us. I mean, the, the second green team was here, was in Toronto. And we had worked hard. We had been, you know, we had trained together the whole year. You know, we had been centralized to practice together. And then we brought in the big guns. But uh, we didn't do that poorly. I think we finished about seventh or sixth in the world championships. That's pretty good now. But yeah. we really thought, and I think everybody thought we should have got a medal. But it was sort of that in middle generation, my generation, the only real f- flagship player who wasn't sort of brought up in Canada who come and kind of jumped onto the national team was Rick Fox, uh, who was from our generation. So he was he kind of became the flag bearer of our generation, and the, so there was a lot of pressure on him in that tournament. You know, he was really the visual 
the guys selling the project and everybody's like, well, this guy's coming from the Celtics, so, you know, we're going to get a medal. But that team was made up a lot of those, this, our, my generation, like I said, the guys from my generation, and I think we just disappointed flat out. We, uh, you know, we hadn't spent that many years as a group together mm-hmm. where we could say, hey, we're going to carry ourselves to the medal round. And, we, you know, we ended up losing to, uh, uh, I think it was Croatia, Greece, you know, teams that had some real veteran uh, pros. Um, and they were, you know, they just, we just couldn't get it done in, in that uh, and get onto the medal round. So it was fun. It was, like I said, another bittersweet experience because, you know, playing in Canada at, at that level of competition in uh, Maple Leaf Gardens as it was at the time. Wow, it was just uh, really exciting for us. Uh, but maybe we just didn't get to that, that place we needed to be to, to get to the medal rounds. And there's all, you know, you can always overanalyze it, but yeah, we just didn't perform. And myself as well. I, uh, I had the, the run up to that. I had been injured maybe a month before. I had a stress fracture in my heel. Uh, and all the run up to that, I was playing the best I'd ever played in my career. You know, it was just really still young, but, you know, we had done a tour of Europe and, and we had really, really done a job on some of these top European teams. Steve had finished college, so he was, uh, Steve Nash was, was there. Mm-hmm. We had some real gunners coming off the bench. Big, like I said, big guys like Wiltshire and uh, Martin Keane was starting to play well. So it was a pretty balanced team. And we thought, hey, we can do this. I got injured. And when I came back, not the same at all. Uh, so I had a poor tournament. Missed some important possessions, you know, that could have turned the other way. So that was really disappointing because I thought that was more than previous years. That was really a chance for us to get into the medal round to establish the program. But I think in the end, uh, it was a stopgap because the next generations further down, Steve, like I said, as the main guy, but then you had, you know, Rowan Barrett coming in, Michael Meeks. They did a great job at the, the, the Olympics. And by then, you know, it was, I, I understood, I was the, I don't know why, but it was kind of lumped in with uh, Shields guys or Donald, uh, yeah. the older group, even though I was sort of entering my prime. Yeah. And so I was starting a family over in France. I was established as a pro. So I kind of said, you know what? Yeah, that's cool. Uh, I really liked some of the guys that hadn't had their chance, like Rowan Barrett and on, you know, that were coming in and starting to do a good job with the national team. So I said, oh, you know what? I'll do my thing and, you know, stay, stay at a distance. It, it was kind of frustrating, but I, I wasn't against taking the summers off. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, recovering, spending time with my, with my kids and, and sure. doing vacation. So, and uh, I, a couple of times I managed to visit a training camp just to, to say hello and stay connected as much as I could. But uh, it shifted at that point really to the East Coast. Grassroots finally really started to develop. Mm-hmm. And some of the potential players on the e- out East were just, uh, you know, more and more numbers, numerous. And uh, to the point where now we just see, wow, places like uh, Ajax and, you know, there's just like... <laughs> We talk about hotbeds of the Okanagan, okay. But back then, you know, now when I look at the players that are coming out of some of the different parts of Eastern Canada, I'm just, wow, this is fantastic. The, the amount of coaching and, and, and give backs from some of the players and, and guys that were around in my generation, I see them all the time, mm-hmm. staying involved, yeah, um, paying it forward. So that's really exciting. So for me, it was really important for me when I did this last few years, get back to the national team. I reconnect in a positive way and, and, and give back a little bit, as, you yeah. know, in, in, in any way I could. That's cool. And uh, yeah, positive experience because to be honest, it's a small world and a, yeah. lot of the, a lot of the guys on the national team I played with or against their fathers. Yeah. A lot of them, you know, the scrub brothers played against their dad. Uh, yep. Kelly Olenek's dad was my coach on the national team. Shout out Ken, yeah. Uh, Kyle Wilcher. Wilcher coached him and I played with his dad. You know, even I didn't coach Andy Routens, but I remember him yep. when he was a little kid 
and his dad throwing a baseball to him and stuff like that. So, you know, I followed the program all these years while I've been in Europe, but it was really, really special for me to finally reconnect yeah. as a coach with some, you know, with some distance and say, Hey, what can I give back here? And that's really all I did. I didn't, uh, I was always just volunteering over the last few years. And first with Rory Rana, it's a really positive experience because Rory and I had, had met before with, uh, in the summer league with the Spurs, we had assisted together with the Spurs, but, oh, cool. um, you know, he'd always thought he'd come out to France and, Know, visit me and see how things are done out there but then this this opportunity came up and we found ourselves coaching the national team together it was quite <laughs> interesting because he you know he sort of caught me so he was so based and for as far as the young players how they had developed where they were playing uh, he got me really up to speed program you know because i had been so far away and then when uh, when he went uh, to the nba uh, gordon herbert took over and spoiler he's my guy that i think you should talk to but ah you know, Gordy and I, you know, because we sort of have this, a similar story, I've been friends for a while now and, mm -hmm. you know, coaching together in, with the national team, but against each other in Europe. And he coached in France, he, co he played in Europe and uh, we just know each other really well. So when he said, oh, I'm going to be the interim head, head coach for the windows, if you, you want to keep doing it, I was like, oh, this is going to be great. So yeah, it was just a fantastic uh, way to sort of reconnect with, uh, with Canadian basketball, with everybody. And like I yeah. said, it's a, so many people I already know. It's just been, it has been such a long time since we've seen each other. It's, it's been really fun. That's cool. Yeah. Hopefully you keep that up. That's uh that's a cool well, story. It's going to be tough now, you know, when you're, yeah. that's uh, still what you would call amateur basketball. For sure. And, and uh, when you're in a pro club, you know, it's really, that's the priority. The Absolutely. Not, they have to release you to, to go to national teams. The timing has to, has to work. But like I said, I, my presence isn't maybe so necessary, but anything I can do to help, like a lot of these kids that I did, help coach in the windows. I also helped to get yeah. jobs here in France. You know, there's been a lot of our players coming through France and doing well. So um, I'll keep doing that, of course. That's awesome. We want to take a moment and thank our sponsor, Parkside Brewery. Located in the heart of Port Moody on Brewers Row, Parkside offers an amazing atmosphere with one of the best summer patios around. If you can't make it to the brewery located at 2731 Murray Street, then hit any government retail store and try the Don Pilsner, the Dusk Pale Ale, or my favorite, the Dreamboat Hazy IPA. A Hoops Journey promises that the beer at Parkside is much, much, much better than the owner, Sam Payne's Streaky Jump Shot. We hope to see you Parkside. After a brief hiatus, Good Lad Clothing has returned but under a new location, 3283 Main Street is where they can be found. Name drop a Hoops Journey to get 10% off any clothing items in store. The store no longer offers barber, but you can find the best retail around. Thanks to our sponsor, Good Lad Clothing, and we hope to see you there. A couple things before we just get into some fun questions and, and stuff like that, but two things. You've had some pretty, two unique owners, hey, for your teams. One former tennis star and one pretty big time basketball player, and then we got to chat a little bit about the you know playing against the dream team and what that was like, right? Getting to go, you know, I, yeah. I remember watching the game on TV. Actually, thought I was like, we got a chance, we're going to do this, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> but remember, you always remember yeah. the visual of you like you know guarding MJ and stuff like that. So, um, yeah. well, well, so yeah, we could start with that. That was ninety two. We it was a. Uh, Again, another big uh, 
destination point for, for our, our national program. We had focused so much just with like uh, the 94 World Championships build up. 92 uh, Olympic qualifying tournament is the first time. Everybody knows the story of the Dream Team and the whole build up. So for us, uh, you know, on Canadian universities and, and on the Canadian national team, it's like, wow, we're going to this tournament. We're in the same pool. We're going to play this team. You know? But on the other hand, we're also trying to balance that with, okay, well, nobody's going to beat them. Yeah. <laughs> you want to qualify for the Olympics. So right. let's stay focused and, you know, let's uh, everybody let make sure you're 100% ready and stuff. Yeah. Um, but it was kind of almost a distraction, but a really exciting distraction. But uh, which are you more focused on playing the dream team, which, you know, you're going to play this date if you make the national team or the more important probable uh, aspect of that tournament is qualifying and, and getting the wins you need to qualify for the yeah. Olympics. Were you um, into the whole like pregame photo thing or were you like, no, let's go? This is war. Uh, I didn't care less. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was super excited by the whole by the whole thing. Um, it was it had a whole from the time the Hang whole on, year time building up. up. Time <laughs> Maybe that won't come out, but he did mumble under his breath. I could care less. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was surreal the whole time uh, mm-hmm. to build up the fact that we were going to play these guys all together, and we had never played pros at, at uh, international level. And it really was blown up into a huge thing, right? Like yeah. it was like a first sort of, yeah. So it was just like, hey, let's not, uh, let's be ready to play. But the tournament as well. And I think, uh, again, for different reasons, uh, it was sort of, the buildup was really good. We got organized by the last minute. Uh, Eli Pasquale broke his leg. Uh, we, had, you know, we brought in a last minute point guard. I'm not sure. I think we brought in a couple of veteran players. Ken brought in a couple of vets, Leo, David Turcott, who hadn't mm-hmm. done the prep with us. It was kind of a last minute thing. So the roles uh, weren't clear and it was, you know, we really, really wanted to do well, I think as a team, but we weren't all on the same page. We hadn't really prepped a lot together. Some guys were in shape. Some guys were maybe cut at the last minute, other guys injured, you know, so uh, we sort of were on and off, on and off all through the first rounds. And I had uh, actually got more playing time than I expected because I had been consistent, you know, I had sort of gone through the whole process and game by game, I think it was a pretty consistent player. So I ended up getting a lot more playing time and responsibility than I had expected. Uh, so that was exciting. Um, it's being the game humble itself, for the record, ladies and gentlemen, that was a very humble. Yeah. But yeah. anyway, the, the, it was exciting. <laughs> I was young, you know, I was maybe 22, 23 years old. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, we, we play the, the U S and it was, well, to be honest, I had, I had gone down and, and given a guy a hundred bucks, the no, local guy from Portland, local gazette, you know, phot- yeah. photographer. I said, they just, you got a reel of 36, snap photos or something just snap when i get on the f- floor just snap it off of me you know playing against these guys yeah yeah. You just do that for me i still have those photos so that was kind of like okay i got that done and as far as you talk about photos and all that kind of stuff that was in the back of my mind and i was like, oh, now yep. i'm just gonna play basketball i'm gonna get out there and compete i was i i played pretty well but i was i think uh way too hyper uh, and excited too mm-hmm. much adrenaline mm-hmm. uh, i got foul trouble you know i ended up fouling out in about 20 odd minutes, 22 minutes, something like that. And in spite of playing pretty well when I was on the court, the, some of the vets were, were upset because I was go, you know, really going hard at guys and got <laughs> into it with, I don't know who, Barkley or something. Fair enough. But uh, all in all, well, which is an exciting experience. You know, you're looking at Magic Johnson, you're picking up Michael Jordan. You're, it was wild. Uh, at that time, I, I don't think you, it's not the same as it would be now. It's still exciting for players, but they, somehow I think players feel they have access or they're connected. There's a sort of a world scale to basketball now and back then it was kind of like jumping inside the television to actually see these guys face right up well that's him you know and then what i'm playing is and not letting it affect you and still playing well the problem for us is we competed they were 
just sluggish at the beginning. And so we stayed within five, six points for, I would say, first quarter, first quarter and a half. And right before half, they made a run and we turned the ball a few times. They just ran like the wind. It was like boom, boom, boom. And that was game, you know, <laughs> down by 18 or 20 at half. But we yeah. did better than most teams in the end. And uh, like I said, that tournament was a disappointment. You know, yeah. the, there was a, I actually had a shot where that I missed. Again, I can't remember the, the team. It was uh, Venezuela. That would have sent us to the Olympics. And it wasn't for me. It was a broken play. Kind of like, I don't know if you saw the Celtics game where uh, Smart, Smart, it got blocked. Yeah. It wasn't the play wasn't for him, but he was yeah. like the sh- they had switched out and the shot clock went down. He got the hot potato. Well, that happened to yeah. me, yeah. And uh, I had a shot to tie it. I think I uh, can't remember what this, what the situation was, but it was sort of went in. It was a bad shot. You know, it was a broken play. It went in and out, and then Mike Smirk had the tip, the tip in, uh, and it back rimmed and came out, and then we ended up with a scrum and a jump ball or something. And it was like all of a sudden reality hit us, and it was like we're not going to the Olympics. And so this whole dream scenario, this crazy huge tournament and everything, and so it ended up being really a disappointing. Uh, tournament for us but uh with, with like i said with retrospect uh what a great experience you know for someone who wants to be a future pro to play at that yeah. level and to, like i said again ken shields opening the door for me to not only be a part of the team but have a, a role on that team yeah uh, it was a big chance for me and uh, yeah from there i rebounded that that very same year to a professional career in europe so thanks yeah. Ken. yeah interesting <laughs> interesting timing right too like just to be able to you see that you're like okay well uh, there's there's no level I'm going to see higher than this, right? And then your first year you're playing pro, right? So it's kind of interesting that timing. And then we've talked, you know, you've mentioned it, and I, I think it's so so cool about how long I don't want to use the term legendary status, but like to get your jersey retired by a pro club and just feel that pouring and uh, you know the the just the connection there it must have been super special. Probably something that you never even imagined would happen, right? You know, 15 years with one. I guess you use the term franchise, like that's crazy and super unique and, and very cool. Yeah, and it was a choice too. I mean, I, yeah. I really liked the town. The the, the coach was just uh, really suited to me. We, mm. we really connected. And uh, I was at a point where I was going into my, my 30s and I had mm. kids and I said, you know what, I, I want to settle here. I don't want to just keep jumping around from city to city in Europe. I've done that. I, I had my years in Paris. I had some years in the south of France, Eastern Europe. Even had a year where I was living in wine country with a team. <laughs> so I did the, you know, I did the whole experience for me. And I was like, where can we settle? You know, a town with things are stable, a team that's really, really constant and a high level. Yeah. And, you know, I sort of bought into that rule, sacrificed a little bit. You know, pros, it's not easy to get a pro to sort of make that foul for the team and all that kind of stuff. And yep. I became yep. that guy. And basically the coach just really would put me in the money time when he needed, you know, important baskets or execution. He would have me on the floor, but beyond that, it sort of was more about uh, being a glue guy, having the right, you know, attitude, and, and you know, showing the younger players, you know, this is how we do it here. Uh, so he he always wanted the first pieces for for him. So I, I finished out my career there. It was a uh, sort of perfect. So you know, for my family, we and then like I said, eight years after that, coaching for the same team. That's fifteen straight years in the same town in in a, in a league and you know professional uh, circumstances where usually you only sign one maximum two year contracts. We just kept renewing, renewing, staying in that team. So we had a really stable situation. And my kids grew up in that town, which is rare out here for, for pro players. So that, that, that was why we, I stayed so long. You know, it was you know and eventually to as to, to get to make transition to the that second guy you want to talk about. <laughs> when we finally, uh, I think it was a head coach for six years at Team Le Mans. And uh, my last year, we actually won this big, this big tournament. They play in Disneyland in France. 
so it was a really fun last season with that team. And I was sort of taking a hiatus year. Um, and, but how, you know, early, maybe before even Christmas, you know, partway through the season, uh, Asvel, which is kind of like the Boston Celtics and the most, you know, historical team out in France. It's a EuroLeague team. They called me up because yeah, Tony Parker, who was still playing with the Spurs at that point, had bought majority ownership of the team. And he had big, big ambitions for the team, who was already a top team, one of the top budgets, but it was going south quickly. Um, mm-hmm. I had a lot of experience, like I said, in a very stable, structured team as the coach, but also, you know, sort of as a quasi GM um, running the sports side of things with that club. So they were looking for somebody who uh, could sort of communicate with Tony the Spurs, you know, sort of bringing that sort of Western style philosophy, mm-hmm. restructure the team, but also sort of help them learn how our league, how things go in our league. How do you recruit for the French league? How, you know, how strategically, how do you prepare your season, administrative side, how things work, what are the rules, tax laws, everything. It just sort of exploded their project from the get go. And they were sort of desperately looking for someone. So I, that was, you know, in my hiatus. So it was like, they called me up. I talked with Tony and, and his uh, interim president. And it just naturally came together and we had a really good run in Lyon. That's the team as well. They're in the EuroLeague now. And uh, yeah, that was a great experience. So I moved to Lyon, the big city. And uh, yeah, we did, we did great things. We won the championship my second year. Team is now in the EuroLeague. They're gangbusters. So as with most top teams, after about four years, four or five years, I got fired. But that doesn't mean it wasn't a great experience. It was really yeah, yeah. a great after so many years in the same team. You know, you kind of say, okay, what's my next step? How, you know, how to, and it, it went really well. So uh, I actually moved to Lyon. I bought a place in Lyon and my family's still there because it's just a beautiful city. And yeah, my younger son, who was a player, he's now a player agent. So oh, no way. So he's, he's just starting out, but. Uh, Dad, I got a player for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Working deals at the dinner table. <laughs> uh, well, he's, you know, he's got a, of course he, he works for an agency. Right. So he's right. got higher ups who would talk to me, but. Yeah, he cool. sends, sends me the list and he, you know, he's always got a, a, his advice, you know, but he's not, uh, he's not tainted yet. He's really excited <laughs> and got a lot of energy. So, but it's good for him to be there <laughs> and for me to still be connected with the team in the league. So he's, he's getting his start. That's cool. Um, yeah. So it's, it's kind of, uh, yeah, things have worked out for us that, yeah. that from that perspective. Did he play? Did he, did yeah. He, he played well yeah. in the, in Le Mans, the team I coached for all those years. Yeah. Uh, when I actually, when I left for Asville, yeah, he he stayed. Um, oh, okay, he was, in, he was in high school. Yeah, but he played in a developmental team, and then he had he didn't sign a pro contract with him. But his last year on the junior team, he practiced. I don't know if he traveled or not, but he you know he got up to where he was practicing with the pro team. That's cool. Uh, but he didn't. Uh, he felt like okay, I'm not going to make the first division. You know, at best I'll be a second division player, and I just don't. I don't want to put in the work if that's my ceiling. Yeah. And he wasn't wrong about that. You know, uh, yeah, we had some real. Real talk about that, and you know he made he made the transition. Took him a while, but now he's he's doing this, and uh, hopefully it'll go well. And I have another son who's was a big fan of basketball, but didn't maybe <laughs> his basketball skills were kind of like my hockey skills. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> he did well in school, and he's he's older though. He's uh, he's in finance, so he oh, cool. Uh, he's out. He's in Paris actually, so that's that's where we're at. My wife goes back and forth, Lyon and and here. Yep, depending on my. Uh, availability schedule yeah. How basketball yeah, yeah. can be so we've got it all figured out and uh, like i said i'm here now and i've got two more years uh, contract hopefully we can keep building this team yeah and that's a before we ask what you th- your favorite chip is we were gonna i was just gonna say like what's your vision for your future like have you thought about 
when things settle down for you, you just in, in, you're enjoying waking up every day and doing what you love and it's still a passion for you and, and that's good enough right now. Well, as much as I got used to staying in these teams for long periods and it all being sort of euphoric, the, the reality is it's very volatile and you can, yeah. you know, beyond, you know, even if it's, sometimes it, it can be performance related, sometimes it can just be political uh, and yep. you can lose your spot. Um, so you have to be flexible. Now I can be, you know, I'm sort of on my own. My, my kids are grown. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's less pressure, less, less stress about that. Uh, yeah, you, you sign these short-term contracts, two years, maybe three at the most with an option. So I, I really buy in and dig in for that period. And then what, what happens beyond that, we'll see. What I didn't expect was, like I said, this is now I've got, I'm really French. Like I'm a French citizen now. I've lived I more can, than half my life in France. I'm, you can hear some people even. say I have an accent. Yeah. You can hear it. It <laughs> so yeah. blows my mind, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but I've lived more than half my life in France now. That's crazy. Yeah. And, That's crazy to think uh, about, yeah. Yeah, so from that perspective, I just sort of say, well, for sure. My, my family's still in BC. Mm. Um, my, my parents and my sister. Mm-hmm. So I'm saying, well, I think when, when it all comes to an end, I'll be back and forth. You know, I can't, uh, uh, I can't just be in BC. I can't just be in France. You know, mm-hmm. once I stop coaching, I'll, I'll go back and forth and I'll, I'll have that life. But as I put so many years in, I'm, I'm going to have my pension in France. I'm like <laughs> all in a French. <laughs> so it's hard to imagine that, but uh, yeah. I'm not the only one. There are guys who have really built a life in Europe having come over as players, you know, as, as foreign players and yeah. uh, no regrets whatsoever. Like I said, it's just tough not getting back. So like I said, the Canadian yeah. team is great for that. Getting back to see everybody reconnect and get back to Canada. And uh, I try to see my parents and my sister every, every summer or every other summer, at least if I can, they come yeah. over to France as well. Cool. So uh, that's, that's as far as I can say, it's, uh, you know, it's just too, uh, you, you make plans in, in this business and uh, they quickly changed. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we just, uh, like I said, really enjoy the project I have right here. You know that it's going to end badly generally. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you have to have that in mind, you know, even if it's going to last six, seven, eight years, at some point it's going to end badly if, if you don't make the move preemptively. So I, I'm just going to buy in and really try to build here. And then if things do go south one day, uh, no problem, no regrets. Good perspective though. Yeah, yeah. Well, you have um, to have that. I've had that yeah. whole career. I mean, you've been under that pressure. You imagine back when there were no spots for American players, like maybe one American player, foreign player per team in a league, and you get that chance with a non-guaranteed contract. Uh, you know, you, you got that. Yeah. That you know, sort of hanging over your head every time you're on the floor, every time you're playing. So you kind of just get used to it. For sure. And, you know, have a perspective on it. You and your wife, they got you got the best seat in the house. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter if the artist is dead or alive. Who are you going to see? Who's I, on the- I looked at those questions. You know what? I was, I, most people from from our generation, I think, got the chance to see to go to those concerts and see all those mm-hmm. people they wanted to see. So there's probably some that I would cite that I've already seen. That's okay. Um, though, but the one regret, and they're not. They're, they're still alive. I think that I think would have been a great concert in the way you know I really like to get out there and kind of go wild and mosh it up was uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers. They were on, you know, West Coast when I was in university and through the summertime, all those festivals, Lollapalooza and grunge period and stuff. You saw that stuff, but I never got to see them and I I really liked them and certainly the, you know, really the energy they, they, they would have produced. So I think, I'd have to be young again <laughs> to experience it the way I wanted to experience it back then. But that would be the, the regret, the one show I didn't get to. 
that was right there. I mean, it was a West Coast group, and I was out mm-hmm. there, and it, you know, it was our generation. So I guess I would say that rather than going back and saying, you know, all, all these sort of legendary artists who have passed. I, I mean, realistically, that's the one I regret. I never did go see the, them go wild. I went um, some about seven or eight years ago. They were at Rogers Arena downtown. They just jammed for like an hour and a half straight. The only thing they addressed the crowd, they're just like, what's up, Vancouver? And then they just literally jammed and walked off the stage. I was like, that was amazing. Like they crushed it. It was awesome. Still. Okay. Yeah. Well, still did it. Yeah. Well, it was wild. Knows, maybe one day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, like I said, I've got, I got out here in France. I saw, I saw the Fuji, the Fugees. I saw yes. Bob Dylan of all people. Wow. With Elvis Costello, you know, you see these people come through Paris just because they want to yeah. play Paris. And I, my first two or three years when I was a young player, my first experience where I met my wife, sounds cliche, but I was playing in Paris. So I got that whole experience, you know, going out, yeah. living life, playing ball. It was my first, you know, one of my first pro experiences was just sort of like, well, I'm, I'm so <laughs> lucky here. I mean, how did this, you know, That's happen? awesome. Yeah. yeah. Good things happen to good people, man. Who have been some of the most important people in your life? You've touched on a few. Anybody else out there? Or well, yeah, I don't. Yeah, I won't talk about my family because it's everyone in your family. When you're in this line of work, you don't see them a lot. They got you here, you know. Mm-hmm. Whether it's your parents, uh, whether it's uh, you know, like I said, my my actual family now, my wife, my and my kids, what they have to deal with with you not being around, uh, with your needing, you know emotional support certain times when you're in terrible mood stuff like that so of course they're all you know goes without speaking that they're the, they were integral to me is i have a, just a few friends and yeah they they are li- linked to uh that started with basketball but have, are life friends you know they're doing something completely different now you did talk to jeff mckay a few weeks ago we're really we've been close for a lot of years mm-hmm. and we have a group of friends who have stayed really tight uh, one other really probably my best friend throughout the years was uh at UBC, when Paul Johansson, not him, but he he was my he was a, a vet when I came into UBC, and yep. the vets were supposed to have one rookie player that they sort of looked out for, showed you the ropes. Paul was my guy. So when I was a couple of years later, the vet, uh, there was a young player came in a rookie. His name was Finbar O'Reilly, who was from Vancouver College, and he played a couple of years. Uh, again, wild about basketball, passionate. But uh, he moved on to bigger and better things. Uh, but we sort of had a completely different career trajectory. He's sort of a world-renowned uh, photojournalist. And he's based in Barcelona now, but he's been in Dakar and Africa. He's been in London. Wow. But he's always been sort of, when I've been in Europe, he's been there, whatever. And we've always, always stayed in touch, always, you know, see each other two, three times a year. We take vacations together and stuff. And this now it's going on 40 years. So, like I said, his job is even more... You can't. He, he covers uh, all the wars, all the big, uh, really pressure cooker situations. So he's been really, really supportive for me. I've tried to be supportive for him away from family. You know, it, it, we have these parallels, and we've just been really tight and committed to each other for a long time. So I think he's been really, really important for me. And like, like I said, it's I, I can't cite the people that uh, you know. It's one by one. There's too many of them, but if certainly those yeah. who've been there since the very beginning and they're still there, that's for sure. Yeah, the people that mean the most to you. Cool. Of course, in basketball perspective, there we spoke of most of them. Those coaches, yeah. Um, you know, starting with my dad through Bruce Ends, Ken Shields, and, and on. You know, they were really important to me. Yeah. Um, when we were doing research, and you know, because we gotta be prepared to talk to a legend as yourself, right? Um, Wait, can we stop with that? <laughs> coach, Coach Ends. 
All right. Yeah. yeah. The thing that he wants, he wanted me to ask. He says that Bruce oh. does give, you know, he gives your dad a lot of credit for your success as a player and a coach. Yeah. But he also says your mom provided a lot of intuitive intelligence and wisdom. You want to expand <laughs> a little bit more on that? Or, uh, look, they were both, uh, <laughs> That's nice. Yeah, Bruce is still really close with my dad. They still talk. And yeah, my mom, she was sort of the rock, uh, the no no bones. I talked about my dad's family being a sports family, you know, NHL family. And, and that was sort of more natural father-son passion yeah. about sports. Uh, my mother was also an athlete, but she came from, uh, you know, the tough life. Her, her father, her grandfather, uncles, they were all in the mines mm. in, uh, in southern Saskatchewan. Coming up, they moved up to B.C., built their own sort of shack houses and sort of scraped their way. So she didn't have an easy life, but that's, it's good somewhat sometimes to come out of that and make it, you know, to a really stable life and, and to work hard. And she ended up being a, a higher up in the bank of Montreal. She did really well long-term and just kept working and working. And hmm. I think she was, yeah, as Bruce says, uh, feet on the ground and she still is, but someone who also has a real perspective on life and, you know, it can catch you when you're maybe getting ahead of yourself, getting out hey. over your skis and say, you know, hey. And then, like, uh, once, because she was so solid financially, uh, you know, any kind of investments or anything I had to do, taxation, all that kind of stuff, she was always sort of took care of all that stuff for me because, yeah. uh, you know, we don't think about that stuff. And if you leave it all up to your agent or people that maybe you don't know, <laughs> you can you can kind of get <laughs> wrapped up and in, in, in scandal or screwed. And yep. she was always an anchor that way as well. So, yeah, I had really... Uh, just a, a lot of luck, like I said, all the way through, whether it was family, whether it was, uh, like I said, basketball people opening doors for me. And that was the one thing that probably lead to this, the, one of your questions. <laughs> I'll ask it myself, but you asked, you know, do you, if you could do it all over again or if you, you know, that one. I don't, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything. But mm-hmm. I think the, the one thing I would th- I change about myself is probably the, just I think the humility and the, the recognition, you know, the people that maybe I didn't keep in touch with or, you know, really. Uh, realize at the time how much they were doing for me, how much I needed them to get me where I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Um, it was nice to talk about a lot of them today. But that's the one thing. I was just really such an arrogant, uh, cocky guy. It took me far, I think, in yeah. basketball. Yeah. But, you know, I never took school seriously at all. Never bought into school. I drove some some coaches and some teammates nuts because I was just so sure of myself. Again, it's, it's a double-edged sword, you know, would have got where I got without it. But on the other hand, I think if I would have had a little bit more perspective, and I think it was just maturity. Like I said, I came into university, at, I was 16, you know, uh, in, high, in 12th grade. And all of a sudden, all this success, all this, I just felt like I knew everything. Mm-hmm. Going 100 miles an hour and, and, and doing well. That's the one thing. But I wouldn't change anything about my life. I've been really lucky. That's good reflection, though. I mean, that's what life's about, right? I mean, if you were still in the same spot, it'd probably be dis- disappointing. But, you know, you've reflected and learned and now, you know, so. Yeah. It's yeah. funny. And now, like you say, in my position, I, I do see a lot of kids coming through that remind me of myself. Like, ah, you look and familiar. And we talked about yeah. that at the outset. You know, yeah, yeah. you kind of have to say, oh, well, I've been there. Yeah. And then uh, so to say, uh, be indulgent, but then also, uh, you know, help them fix their limits and move forward. So For sure. Now you're at France, you get amazing food. <laughs> on a daily on a daily basis yeah but how do you feel about ketchup on macaroni what do you, uh, what do you- look I, I i get teased about it all the time you know sort of the cliche over here is like oh you want ketchup you know with the french guy oh yeah they bring you some ketchup you're american right yeah, yeah um but i think if you actually put it on macaroni or pasta over here they, they would actually tear up your paperwork and put you on a plane home so it's never really been an issue i remember in college uh, this guy we talked about mike clark um, yeah, of course. He, he would, was my roommate. So he, he, we were close. Clarky we was my roommates. assistant coach when I was yeah. at Langara. So it was Kevin and Mike. So, yeah, uh, yeah. 
Uh, and he was, you know, how opinionated guy, you know, brilliant guy, but it's so opinionated. Mike Clark and, opinions. Yeah, Mike Clark. <laughs> <laughs> so he was my roommate, and he he was a, a big ketchup guy. So it was his macaroni and cheese, right? Yeah, craft uh, dinner, whatever, and yeah. then also the uh, what you, the grilled cheese sandwiches. Man, he w- it wasn't like dipping it; he was actually scooping ketchup, like loading it up. And I just sit there and cringe. I go, like, "What are you doing?" And of course, he had to defend. You didn't say, "Yeah, it's it's not very reasonable," or maybe it's a little much. It's like this, this, try it, this and that. These big long arguments defending his position. And anyway, it kind of turned me off off loads of ketchup and stuff like that, like mixing it into. To macaroni and stuff yeah. but i do i'm not gonna say i i don't like ketchup i'm sort yeah. of between those two worlds i'm become sort of quasi french so i do really enjoy the french cuisine and the really the yeah sophisticated stuff but i'll still put ketchup on my burger there you go okay thanks for the, the no ketchup chips though for the second part of that question i also do not like ketchup chips really yeah because you asked what's the best chip yes. is a favorite chip and i'm like i'm not a ketchup chip guy either it's just too much for me so then um, what is I'll, it just, you know, nachos. I'll take nachos with some salsa, you know, those Doritos, but without all the cheesy flavoring. Yeah, yeah. Natural. That'll be more my thing. That Just those, yeah, with some salsa, some beer, watch a game. No ketchup can't chips. can't really get into the, mm. the flavored chips that much. Yeah. <laughs> Your Canadian passport has now been revoked. <laughs> <laughs> ketchup chips. Yeah. Do you have much time to read or watch movies if you were to take a choice? Well, I think everybody does now with the... Yeah, you don't have to go to the theater. You just go to you know Netflix or download whatnot. Yeah. So what are some what's an what's um, an all time classic for you? Oh, it just goes too far. You know, I, I was in Paris when I saw uh, that that period when movies were still a little bit uh, there was a little bit of variety. Yeah. Um, so Pulp Fiction <laughs> and Forrest yes. Gump and you know all those movies. Uh, I saw them sort of in that Soho same period in Paris. You know, in these sort of European theaters where you can have a beer and stuff like that. So it's kind of yeah. That was really cool. So I would say, yeah, I guess Pulp Fiction or, you know, what were some of the other ones? Seven. Yeah. Shawshank Redemption. I saw all those movies in Paris and in the theater. So those nice. are the ones I really enjoyed as an adult. When I was young, you know, we could go back. and That takes forever. Yeah, that was yeah. a Pulp Fiction in Paris. I saw, you know, of course it was in, in English with the subtitles. Yeah. But that was, I really enjoyed that. And as far as books, I did do a lot of reading when I was a player. I even actually tried to write a novel when I was a player just to, hmm. to disconnect. But yeah. it wasn't about informing myself or reading about coaches or successful people, those autobiographies. I wasn't really ever into that. Mm. It was more just uh, fictional, whether it was, uh, you know, crime stories or more just uh, straight up novels. Um, yeah. So I read, to be honest, I'm not going to pretend I'm intellectual. I would read what my wife either just finished reading yeah. or what she would suggest. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> Her books were in French, so that helped me too. It helped me to just oh, get yeah. better and better with French. So I read in French, so that's pretty intellectual, I guess. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, there you go. <laughs> uh, there was one author, Was his name is, uh, he's, he just died in the last few years, uh, Henning Mankel. He's, he's uh, I don't know if he's known in North America, but he uh, mm-hmm. he does crime novels, detective novels. His main character was Wallander, I think was the name of the character. Okay. But he's uh, Swedish. And everything happens up in Sweden in a small town, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, solving these smaller crimes and detective work it was. I got into those a lot when I was a player. He wrote a lot of those novels, but yeah, just more of an escapism type thing, like get my yeah. head away from basketball and yep. and read. But not not so much since I'm coaching, you know. Yeah, you know how it is it eats up your time. 
Sure does. And your brain. <laughs> yeah. If you could go back to one game, what would it be? Good or bad? Any reason? Um, um, just yeah, to for, for that one, if I'm being honest, it's probably uh, it's not what you would expect. You know, I don't want to. I wouldn't want to go back and replay the Dream Team because it was just fantastic, and it would just. Yeah. I, I lived that, and some of the big championships, you either won or shots you missed. Like I said, would I go back and retake that shot to go to the Olympics? And like, well, maybe I'd miss it again. You know, it's just like that was a a great or a horrible experience in and of itself. Yeah. I think if I could relive it, it would have been, it, like I said, not a particular game, but some of the those national team uh, tournaments and stuff we'd go to just the time when we weren't playing, you know, with some of the players, the guys that, you know, that I, that I really, some of them have passed. Uh, I don't need name names, but it, it would just be great to be together with those groups again and the, mm. the camaraderie and the excitement about being in, in those tournaments, win or lose. Yeah. So it's hard to sort of say this game or that game. Yep. Yeah, the one thing I think Jeff talked Jeff McKay again talked about it the last time. He organized it was great. He organized a reunion of our junior national team with Ken mm. and the, and a few of the players. Uh, most of the players uh, like I said that are still alive and we watched the one game it happened to be one game where I, I hit a lot of important shots and played really well and reliving it that way with all my former teammates who are all old and we're having drinks and teasing yeah. each other and oh, look how skinny you were and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Boy, that was fantastic. So yeah, no, like I said, that that's more what I would want to relive is the camaraderie more than just a particular moment in a particular game. Yeah, that is the best part. Like when you look back, it's like just the fun little moments, the goofy things that happened on the road, you know, yeah. you know, pranking guys in the hotel, whatever, right? Like the wins yeah. and losses are great, but those little moments and what a powerful, yeah. fun night. I, did they have to... Was the was the video on like the old film or was it VHS or how did no, they... No, it was, it was really scratchy and whatnot but yeah. it, was, uh, it was it was there loaded yeah i don't know where they found it and then you know they did a lot of great things you know some of the guys had sent pictures and we did a whole montage uh, montage oh, of, cool. you know, of the old photos we had from the trips and stuff and uh, it was just hilarious that's awesome uh, just a great experience so yeah I, w- I would like to go back to those because that's what you remember yeah those relationships those moments uh more than particularly to, to just play a specific game 100 percent. now you've your scope in terms of players that you've seen, whether played against, ah. coached against, who are, are there, is, is there a matchup that stands out to you? Is there someone that you had the scout? Yeah, well, forced I forced this guy into the ball screen this way and then it just didn't work out, or, you know, is, or, um, well, as a, like I said, as a, as a, well, we'll get coaching out of the way because coaching, sure. uh, I, I talked about Betum. That was a, a formative experience for me as a new coach, uh, yeah. working with him, but then, a lot of the guys who are in the NBA now who are European, um, I've coached against. Not all of them, but a lot of them. Uh, so that was always challenging, but it would be hard to pick one and say, well, this particular guy really, especially when he was young. Now I look at him and say, oh, wow. <laughs> so it's really better now. But uh, So I, going back to when I was a player, as a young player, he's going to hate me for this, but Jeff McKay is <laughs> yeah, a couple gonna, of years ahead of me and he was he the superstar of our, of our neighborhood. And I kind of looked up to him, same position. And I was like, wow, I even played against him. It was a year or two behind him in school, but he was kind of the guy. And mm. I thought, you know, he went to UVic and he was on the national team. I was like, I want to be that, you know? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So he was one of them. And the other guy in high school that I looked up to, his name is uh, Dale Olson. Uh, he was from Vernon. He played yep. at UVic too, but yeah. Ole. Um, and he's still, he's in Vernon. He's running uh, the hoops, was it Hoops and Hustle Camp? Okay. He was coaching uh, at, like, did he coach at yeah. U of A for a bit? And well, I don't coach know. I've UMBC? Dale forever, but yeah. I know he's still in Vernon. 
And he's running that camp that I think my, my dad actually started about 40 years ago with uh, Bob Shannon, another coach. That's from, awesome. From Vernon. Uh, so there's, there's a real continuity there. So there's a shout out for him. But also, I just remember he was like the, the coolest guy in school, the best yeah. athlete in every single sport. Yeah. And he was a few years ahead of me. And I was just like, wow, that guy. Yeah. And we ended up being friends. But yeah, for sure, he was, uh, he was kind of the cool hometown hero. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, awesome. And then when I moved up to a higher level, uh, yeah, for sure, it was Steve for a while. Even though he's younger, he was the hometown guy who actually made it. Uh, who really, you know, Steve was the BC guy. That he's you're like wow this guy he he's gonna make it to the next level. Mm-hmm. We you know I played with him and I, I I knew what it was like even at a very young age to play you can with sense him. It. You know yeah well yeah just the way he because he wasn't flamboyant when he was young he was just very you know he played Ken Shields basketball very disciplined mm-hmm. um, but just the vision the very clean and just the timing and for a young guy like that I was a scorer uh, I needed the ball and he would just get it to me right at the right time just we hadn't played we hadn't come up together. Mm-hmm. But he just sort of with quickly knew where I needed the ball, and, and so that and a great guy. That's the thing about it too. Is uh, going back to the camaraderie. We'd go on these trips, and we'd be in Europe, and it was just exciting. So I followed him always. I was in Europe, but of course, all his way up, and it just uh, I was inspired certainly by the fact that because I just you know as much as I could follow just about every game he played, I sort of plateaued as far as my ability at a certain age, and it just mm-hmm. it seemed like Steve, you know, you get the thirty. <laughs> and you say he can't get any better and then you look at him he's 33 and he's better than he was when he was 30 and then third and this when is it he improved every year he's got better better and better and just dominated more and more so that that really impressed me so that as far as contemporaries and guys i played with uh, or against and of course jordan and everything that revolved around him and yeah. his world um the guy that's saying the guy that you played against that really whoa that blew you away and that whether it was on the court or off the court just everybody was sort of wrapped up in that i'm sure you were as well of course um on the tail end so that was was cool to have played against him but uh, I'm not going to invent somebody else that was my hero he yeah <laughs> <laughs> I was wrapped up in that like everybody else um I may have been more excited to uh to guard magic to be honest that was my guy uh, yeah. magic was my guy yeah I, well, I didn't him. guard him I wasn't a point I guy, so I was yeah. up against Jordan uh Drexler yeah Pippen those guys the coolest part of that going back to that game was uh afterwards you know when they were, they were just you know you think they'd just take off you wouldn't see them but they were hanging around in the hallways and talking with us and saying hey mm. great game you know where to go let's play hard that's cool uh, how old are you all this kind of stuff. it was like whoa talking to this guy yeah um, so that was really cool and i think from there on i just like again it was just like okay not only this guy like it's just otherworldly as a basketball player he's like classic guy yeah you know, you know you've seen all of them you know and yeah. none of them you know wasn't ridiculous and yeah yeah they, they were really really no, honest, honestly like good guys respectful yeah. uh, they, they didn't look down on us like we're trash or anything yeah yeah <laughs> the reality of it for them. Yeah. <laughs> um so yeah no i thought uh th- those two guys probably really my contemporary sort of said that i looked up to and i thought wow those guys are really outstanding mm-hmm. and as a kid you know the poster on my wall was dr j for sure you know? yeah uh you know that was the just we hardly got any film of NBA games or anything like that. So you just get clips and he was the guy that would be floating through the air doing these crazy yeah. things and stuff on the rare clips you'd get from, you know, the NBA and whatnot. And sure. You see him on posters. And so I did the Dr. J jumping program when I was in high school <laughs> trying to learn that again. all this kind of stuff. So yeah, that, that would have been the, what were those shoes called? Remember they had the shoes with the lift on the front? They're like called like jump shoes or whatever, and they. Oh, like, those, I never tried yeah. those things, but I did. Like I did when, when I crossed the border to go buy my shoes. I, the first ones I bought were the, the Converse All Stars. You know, the, yes, those leather All Stars. And then we then Nike came in. Yeah, we started buying Nikes. 
I saw a tweet of Dr. J uh, this week, seven years old, and he, he, he threw one down. I was like, geez, man, that's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing because I was trying to do it on my 50th birthday. And uh, I was actually with the, with the national team uh, during one of the windows and all the younger guys were like filming with their phones and trying yeah. to, I'm not encouraging you. And I just get, I must've tried like 20 times and just doing that boing, boing, yeah. boing. And never did get one to go down. So, well, I guess I'm not going to injure myself. So yeah. Yeah. I was going to say I was the body the next day. That's yeah. the end of it. So I made it to, cause I used to do that every year on my birthday. Dumped it. Okay. Yeah. I made it out. Isn't that terrible? I made it to 49 and then on 50, it was just like, damn reality. But the Achilles is still attached. So, I mean, yeah, well, that was you, a, didn't, you yeah. didn't get the dunk down, but the body was still good, yeah. which is more important. Yeah. <laughs> um, but both those guys, you know, some of the guys on the team, uh, you know, Mike Meeks you had on the show. Yep. I've known him for a lot of years too because he played in France. And yeah. National team player. He, he t- said he really um, enjoyed his time in Europe. Like yeah. loved it. Yeah. Yeah. And he's good still guy. connected. He's still connected. Yep. He helps players so much. I mean, it's his job, but he really, mm-hmm. really does his all to get guys, you know. On, I had the opportunity to... Uh, they did a Canada basketball came out and did a camp or whatever. And he ran it. So that's when I had a chance to meet him and I helped, helped for the weekend and what a nice guy. And you could just tell yeah. he's got that aura that like, yeah, he's eclectic, draws, you know, yeah. he's, he's got, uh, he's got a distance, you know, he's been, he's seen a lot of things and he knows, uh, I think he's got his that perspective and he can really help kids, you know, sort of key in on what's important. Yeah. And, you know, not just give truth to people, but really hear them and, you know, look at their situation. Uh, yeah. I find him, a, you know, really an interesting guy. That's cool. Um, and then some of the younger coaches that I didn't know. Yeah. Pat Tatum. I don't know if you know Pat Tatum. Nope. Don't know um, Pat. Coaching at Master. He, uh, yeah, and then some of the guys, some of the video guys, just all these guys are just like, they're so young and full of energy, you know, and they're yeah. just passionate. <laughs> so it's, it's cool to get back to, and you have that here in France, but it's in Canada on your national teams because it's really a fun experience. So For sure. Like, that gave me a lot of energy because, uh, you know, you kind of get burnt out at some point. And Absolutely. I took those couple of years, you know, when I was around 50. And going back to the national team, it really gave me a lot of energy. That's good, man. Get back to it. So, Right on. Again, thank you for doing this episode. It was great. Yeah. Very, very cool. Uh, before we let you go and you figure out how to grind out the last couple uh, games of the season here and keep the, keep the boys motivated, um, any sort of last thoughts, reflections, anything popping in your brain before uh, we hop off the Zoom here? Well, no, I mean, we went through just about all this, <laughs> about enough talking about me. I just really appreciate it. Uh, I'm going to go back and listen to a lot now. Like I said, we're heading into the off season, so I'm going to try and listen to a lot of those interviews. Uh, cool. Going back, so many of those previous interviews are guys that I, you know, I knew well that I haven't been able to catch up with or guys that I would have recommended that you interview. So it's going to yeah. be interesting to go back. So congratulations to keep doing it. Thank you. Um, and I think, yeah, for sure, if you can uh, get Gordy Herbert on here because uh, he's sort of like me but plus plus he's been you know he's been in the nba a couple of years ago he was with the nets you know he was assistant to, to jay mm-hmm. the raptors but he's the current head coach he was a couple of years ago head coach of canadian national team he's current head coach of the german national team right now euro league coach he's won all sorts of championships so this is a guy who comes from penticton small town he played in the olympics in la he played in finland professionally he, he played in, and he's built his life out there and people maybe just don't know Gordy, and he's yeah. just so important to Canadian basketball, and he has so much, uh, like I said, perspective on, on so many things you know, outside of Canada. And from a basketball point of view, he'd be really interested to talk to. So, awesome. I, I, you know, if you want, let me yeah. know, and I'll try and get a hold, uh, and get you, get you in touch. Please do. I know the name, and and you know, just 
it's fun just sitting down listening to these people. And like you say, there's so many people out there there's, that have these stories and maybe just haven't had, not that it's like a spotlight, but just the opportunity to share, right? And uh, we'd love to have- In an open way. Like this is, yeah, yeah it's very, uh, you know, it's a blast from the past type thing, you know, really <laughs> enjoy getting the old stories. It's not just an interview. So, mm-hmm. so it's a lot more, uh, lot more fun to do for sure. I appreciate it. Awesome. Our pleasure, honestly, and uh, continued success as a coach, health and happiness to you and your family, you know, enjoy your time away from, you know, in the off season, but, uh, you know, your your brain will probably rest for about a week and then you'll be thinking about <laughs> what's next. I don't know, maybe you, are you around this summer? You're going to be around yep. this summer? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yep. So if I'm not sure if I'll be coming back through, but I'll give you a shout if I come back out to BC. Please do. We'll have a beer. Huh? Yeah, that'd be a pleasure. Yeah, yeah on me. Okay. All the best. Thanks. What a great episode. Um, Shout out to our sponsors, Parkside Brewery, Good Lad Clothing. Don't forget to like and subscribe, and we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for supporting A Hoop's Journey. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review and hit that subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. You can find us on social media at A Hoop's Journey and on our website, ahoopsjourney.com. Thank you to our guest, JD Jackson. Thank you to our sponsors, Good Lad Clothing and Parkside Brewery. And we will see you on the next episode.